Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Do I need to lose weight before my transfer? Well, any time's a good time. We've actually looked out of our research program, we've looked at the weight of women and the quality of the eggs using some techniques of looking inside an egg, which we have using polarized light. And we showed that uh, the more obese the woman, the poorer the quality of the eggs. It may have already been determined if you, if you were overweight when you had the egg collection, maybe that's already happened. There are some other studies that suggest that it's more about the environment the embryo goes into that is important. And, and being overweight creates an environment that's not positive. So if you can lose weight, whenever, do it. Prof, another common question that is asked in this space is, is bleeding normal in the early stages of pregnancy? It's very common to have some degree of bleeding. Probably 30% of women have some either brown or a little bit of red spotting. But so that's common. Bleeding more than that, like a period, is uncommon and is not a good sign. Here's an interesting one. Am I a candidate for mini IVF or natural IVF? I don't have a great deal of faith in the, in the natural IVF. You, you may or may not produce an egg that is fertilizable if you're only going for one. Naturals will produce one egg. Now, okay, you don't need injections, but naturally that embryo is no better than one that's come out of a cohort of you know, 10 eggs. But a cohort of 10 eggs may well give you more good embryos so i think there is a vogue to say we know it's all natural it's all good but in fact in terms of getting babies i don't think it's great what are my options if for embryos that won't be used okay so you've had your baby you had your family had your babies and you've got leftover embryos i wish i could be more positive <laughs> but there are three options 99 percent of couples choose the option of thawing the embryos and uh, once they're thawed without culture medium the cells will break down and and the embryo will be lost but that's what most people do there is the possibility of donating embryos to another couple who can't produce she can't produce eggs his sperm is bad and therefore they need to have a donor embryo i probably see someone once every six or eight weeks who are looking for that solution. Most of them just give up because very few people are, are, are happy about giving away an embryo. It's almost like giving away a child, your husband and your genetic material. And it's like adopting a child out. So that's for some people is not, or very few people find that an acceptable option. The third option uh, is research. Uh, to use those embryos, the laws in Australia actually restrict that sort of research 
and that you've got to have a license to do it. And the things that people would be doing with your embryos, uh, one would be potentially uh, training embryologists to do the biopsy techniques for genetic testing of embryos, because they're not the potential for damaging them is not so obviously so important. So you can benefit other patients by letting them be used for that purpose. Research beyond that with embryos, really, no one, no one's really doing anything in Australia in, in that regard. Rob, I have a question from ARM Panda. I'm 44 years old, recently had an IVF cycle, and I only had one follicle and one egg. I ended up getting pregnant for eight weeks, and then I had a miscarriage. What should I do next? That's fantastic. You, you got pregnant with one, one egg because, you know, as I've talked earlier in this time, the, the odds of, of a pregnancy in a 44-year-old with one egg is probably one or two percent, even when we get to being a blastocyst. And the main reason for that uh, is not the body, it's actually the embryo. It's the fact that that embryo had a 95% chance of being genetically abnormal. So basically nature was, was probably dealing with an embryo that was doomed and, and the miscarriage has occurred and it would not be a good idea if that embryo had carried on. That's the odds that you're facing though, that every embryo that you create when we do genetic testing on that 44, 95% of them will have a genetic abnormality. Whether you go on is what is the $99 question uh, and that's determined by your desire to try because if you think about it you to produce two good embryos or five good embryos you need to have a hundred of them to to produce a hundred of them now you're never going to produce a hundred embryos if you did if you're producing one egg at a time you can see that you know even to get 10 embryos is 10 cycles and perhaps one of those might be a normal one but 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 the odds are that it won't be so it's not good news, but it's why, you know, showing the impact of age uh, on your chances of success. But I probably wouldn't give up quite yet. The fact that you got pregnant would make me feel it's worth having maybe one or two more goes. I have a question from Rose Francis. Thank you for your question, Rose. Uh, she says, I am 42 years old and I want to try to do IVF. Do you think I can have a child at this age? Yes, 42-year-olds with IVF have around about a 15 to 20% chance of a, of a pregnancy in one embryo transfer. It's not out of the question. Before I would say uh, that it's worth going through IVF, there'd be some preliminary investigations that need to be done and, and need to be in the hands of somebody who understands uh, those results and isn't just pushing you through an IVF cycle for the sake of it. They hopefully would give you a realistic view of, of what the odds of a pregnancy are. At 42, when we stimulate the patient with drugs, probably 20% of them will have cancelled cycles. In other words, we'll, we won't even bother going to look for the eggs because they haven't formed. Then when we go to collect the eggs, another 10% are probably we're not going to find any eggs because the follicle numbers are so low. And at 42, the competency of those follicles is starting to decline. So the 20% I was talking about is once you've got over that, those losses and you end up with an embryo. So once you get an embryo, it takes you up to that number and then genetics starts to play in uh, as to why it's so low. Sitting down with someone who understands what they're talking about in relation to success and your age and your results uh, is vitally important. Mary Zeller says, five years, one tray, normal stay, pregnant, nothing happened, 
end I do IVF four times failed. Tell before that everything fine, just hormone low. What the next option to do? Do my chromosomes, me and my husband normal? Do you need to do laparoscopic? Based on what you're saying, it sounds a bit complicated. I mean, I'd be more than happy to sit and, and do a consultation and go through that detail with you, but I don't think I can make much comment. Laparoscopy may, can, may help if there is endometriosis as an underlying cause, but generally I don't end up doing a laparoscopy. Rose but, Francis says, thanks. And Annalise says, what is your preference between transfer at day three and transfer at day five? The advantage of day five is that the embryos have been uh, have demonstrated their high quality to get to day five it's a bit like a, a long distance race the weak ones fall out on the way so if you're putting back a weak one um it won't it, it's not going to succeed if it gets to day five it's got more chance of success uh, and that's why we generally grow them onto that because it gives you a better idea it saves you having multiple frozen cycles of, of embryos at day three the world has moved on i mean when i started doing ivf yes day two and day three embryos were standard but that's 30 years ago 10 years ago in australia probably 80 percent of cycles were day two embryos five years ago it was 50 percent today it's something like 75 percent are now blastocyst transfers and it partly explains the improvements in pregnancy rates in australia are my embryos eggs and sperm stored on site or at another location in most places in most places where the eggs are collected should generally be near where the laboratory is there are some services that transport those embryo the eggs and sperm to another location and they're fertilized there but once they're there and they're fertilized that's where they'll stay they can be moved from place to place certainly you know, patients who've been through cycles in another clinic sometimes come to me and we transfer the embryos. It's quite, you know, they're your embryos. You can arrange the transport of them or we can organise the transport from them. And that's, you know, all around the world. There are transport companies that specialise in moving uh, eggs and sperm and embryos around the world. Should my embryos be frozen prior to transfer? Okay, so this is a debate that's, you know, that's currently going on. Is a fresh transfer better than a frozen one? The evidence, I think, is pretty clear that it that makes no difference. Now, a decade ago, we would have said a frozen embryo with the technology that was available then, fresh as much today with something called vitrification, which is the standard technique that everybody uses. The success rates with frozen is exactly the same as with fresh. No better, no worse. The advantage of trade-off, there is a trade-off, uh, we believe, and that is that while a fresh embryo might be slightly better, the environment it goes into in, inside your womb is actually quite abnormal because the hormone levels of an IVF cycle are far greater than they would be in a natural cycle. So when you put it back in a natural cycle, maybe the embryos aren't quite as good, but the environment's better. So there's a, bad, there's a trade-off in both directions. There are clinics that just do freeze-alls. That's to some extent for convenience of the patient and the doctor because in a frozen cycle, you you can use hormones to, to modify the cycle. So you only do transfers during the week and not at the weekends. Uh, and if the success rate is the same, um, that's good. The other advantage of freezing all the embryos is you avoid any risk of hyperstimulation syndrome, which is the big downside of IVF. So by using, uh, if, if you look as though you're going to overstimulate, we can use medications that 
will prevent OHS that's occurring, but freezing them also helps avoid that situation that can lead to hospitalisation. And in around the world, there are deaths associated with it. So we, it is a, a bad thing that, to happen, and we can avoid it in, in, uh, in 2020. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com, and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 